that is the Lord that we serve. It's, uh, I've told you before, the first time I ever got up to preach at a retreat, we had a time of worship, and a youth worker confessed later on, Pastor David, I, I almost told you you don't need to speak because God's already moving so hard. I didn't want you to mess it up. <laughs> and I thought, no, I, I totally get it. I totally, I totally understand. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 if you're in life groups there. That's where we'll be today. As we talk about what real hope is and how it's worth the struggle. And I'm listening to Omar share his story. And he, and he told us about it in the office the other day. We get to visit and to pray and talk to one another about how we're sharing the Lord. And uh, a few weeks ago, I, I texted a friend and asked him if I could share part of his story. I won't talk names or anything like that. And, um, but, but in that, it talks about glory. Um, I don't know if you've, you've ever learned this or not. It's an inaccurate truth that there is a hierarchy in church and importance Right, we have the pastor, like the pastor, pastor, pastor. That's me today, just in case you're wondering. Then you have the other pastors, and then you have the deacons, and then you have the leaders, and then you have the church members. And one day, if you're really, really loved by God, you can work your way up the top. Um, this is completely false, but it feels kind of normal, doesn't it? I mean, kind of, we, we look up to and respect, and Scripture talks about teachers being judged differently and all kinds of things. Um, but I was talking with a friend about this because today as we talk about real hope is worth the struggle, we're going to talk about glory because I think that, that our struggle um, for glory gets us in a lot of trouble. And I, I see this all over the, the world today. I, I, I can't tell you how many people I see struggling for their own glory. Um, it, it, we, 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 we put societies around personal praise and, and glory and, and the win in that. And what happens when we redefine that? That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, so this friend of mine um, is a deacon. He's a, he's a wonderful, godly friend of mine. And a while ago, he called me on the phone, and, and he said, Pastor, can I, could I be okay if I stepped away from that for a season? God's teaching me some new things about him. Nothing's going on. There's no sin reigning in his life, anything like that. God's teaching me some things about him that I thought I knew, but I didn't know and I think being a deacon is getting in the way of me being comfortable with the Lord. What an interesting thing. That's not the way glory works. The way glory works is you work your way up. And so I went and visited with this friend not long afterwards, and we were just talking about, you know, his, his walk with Jesus Christ and how, how God had really convicted him about knowing his word more and living his word more and all of these things. And... And how this idea of a title was kind of making this feel like a burden instead of like a joy. And he said, when you told me it was okay, he said, I want you to know. And he said, I, I'm not saying this to, to give myself self-praise. He says, but I'm talking to people about Jesus like you and Omar share with us on Sunday morning now, and I've never done it before. I've got a list of men that I want to make sure before they know Jesus, I call them or I get with them and I tell them about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he said, and I've called some of them and they're like, wait a second. No, you're a wonderful man. All these kinds of things. And, and I said, no, I just want you to know that I know that I know. 
and I want you to know who Jesus is. You see, he stopped worrying about the glory that had been ascribed to him by men and focused on the glory that God put before him. I tell you what, it's an amazing thing when God frees us to be his disciple. And that doesn't happen in our glory because when we're protecting our glory, we're afraid of a mistake, aren't we? Have you ever been afraid of a mistake? If you say no, there's probably another church for you, right? Because I, I hate making mistakes. Um, we went to a band competition yesterday and talk about marching bands not wanting to make mistakes, like the smallest things. I was standing in the street. I was directing traffic, which was not my spiritual gift. Apparently, I'm easy to miss. So, or maybe I'm hard to miss because they never got me. And these band, these kids are coming back by, they are working their backsides off. And if, if you're, your kid, our daughter's in band, she's a senior this year, it's, it's literally in school and outside of school, like a part-time job. It's an amazing commitment. And these kids are working so hard, and they're coming back by, and they're walking through, and I'm the guy with the light. I don't know anyone. I just got this shirt on that says I'm safe. You know, I'm part of the volunteer crew here. And I'm like, hey, guys, how did it go? These are kids coming from finals. They're the best of the best. And they're coming from, how's it going? They're like, oh, what, what do you mean? You're just in finals. Yeah, you know. There was two groups. At the end, I was like, how, they were like, we're, it was awesome. That's who we are. Right? It's just, it's great. <laughs> yeah, they were our local schools, just so you know. That was us. It was wonderful. But, but they were measuring how they felt their hope was or how they felt their value was based upon the glory that they thought they would be ascribed through others. Now, I promise, you know, kid was walking back saying, man, my glory monitor was lower than normal. They're not thinking about glory. They're just thinking, is, I have this expectation to live up to just to be somebody, just to be a part of something good, just to be a part of something great. And if I mess up just a little bit, all of a sudden the struggle for glory is a burden and it's not a joy. Let me tell you something today about Scripture. This is the stream of our society. This is the world that we have created. I mean, we have conversations at the house. How did you do on a test? Oh, I don't know. I got a 95. And it's real disappointment. I don't know what caused me to get it wrong. Hey, how was your day at work, Chris? Oh, it's pretty good. But there was just this one thing that I did. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that you and I have set a worldly standard for glory that is here, that is biblically upside down? We're really working the wrong way. But as we, as we progress or, or we neglect or as we miss that glory, it impacts our wholeness. I want to let you know something. The struggle for glory is a biblical concept. It's just a totally different glory than we have built our life around. It's completely the opposite. And this is what Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 1 and in chapter 2. He says, I want to let you know I'm struggling for you. I'm struggling for glory, but it's not my own. See, church, in Christ we find ourselves heading in a very different direction than anyone else. And our struggle for glory 
so to speak, happens in one of two ways. One you can find in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. I'll, I'll read it to you. Um, you can get there on your phone if you can get there pretty quickly as well. Ephesians chapter, excuse me, 6, verse 13 says this, or, or excuse me, verse 12 says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. You see, the struggle for glory happens in a Christian life, one, when you are under attack by the working of darkness. This could be the darkness of the enemy. This could be the darkness of your own personal sin. This could be the darkness of the principalities of this world. But the struggle for glory is going to happen when you are wrestling with someone who wants to oppress you. That's an attack. You are wrestling for glory. Their glory is fulfilled when you submit to them and you find glory when you overcome them. Right? Not your own glory. Christ will talk to us and Paul will show us. But, but there's a wrestling for glory that happens when an attack. That's why today it's no longer okay to disagree. Have you noticed that? Why not? Because that doesn't bring me glory. What brings me glory is when you validate that you were wrong all the time, scum of the earth, and now because you submit to my way of thinking, you are holy. There's this glory that comes on us, that this oh, oppression. So that's one way that we find ourselves in reality struggling for, for glory is, is by the things of this world that want us to bow our knee to it instead of the Lord. That's a struggle. There's another kind of struggle we'd find back in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 32, verse 28. We, we have this picture of, of Jacob right before he, he becomes named Israel. And, and he's going and, and, and he's really been kind of a, a goob to his brother Esau. And he's going to make things right. He's such a proud man. He's going where God wants him. God says, I'll lead you. Return to your land. He sends everybody in his family ahead of him first. And then about when he's about to cross the river, the Bible says he starts struggling with, with the Lord. He starts struggling with the Lord. And he's wrestling with them. And, and your Bible may say an angel, may, may, say, may say the Lord. Here's the deal. As he's wrestling with the Lord, he says, okay, let go of me. Jacob says, I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go until I know your blessings upon me. Will you bless me? And the Lord in verse 27 says, well, tell me your name. And he says, my name is Jacob. He says, you shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and prevailed. And what's great is right after he says that, he flicks his hip, <laughs> breaks his hip. You, you realize the Lord wasn't trying to win a fight. He was trying to see if Jacob would prevail. And the word prevail does not mean win in the sense of conquer. The word prevail literally means he continued to exist. Isn't that a win? If you're wrestling with God and at the end of the day you're not dead, that's a good thing. Amen? Right? If you figured that out, like you win. You, you have prevailed. You're, you're not dead yet. So, so Jacob is struggling with the Lord. What's he struggling to? He's struggling to hold on. 
He's struggling to be under his blessing. He's, he's saying, with all that I've got, life outside of this is not worth it. And I'm nothing's going to make me let go of you unless you tell me that you're going with me. Unless you tell me that I walk in your blessing. And the Bible says, you've prevailed. You didn't prevail because you beat somebody in a wrestling match. You prevailed because you held on. And because of the grace of the Lord, you continue to exist. And now you walk in my blessing. See, those are our two struggling worlds. I, I would be hesitant to say that there's a third. It, it's either we're struggling with submission to the world and to our sin, or we're struggling to stay right where, right where God wants us, right where the blessing lies. That's, that's the struggle. And glory is in both places. A worldly glory comes in making men submit to you. I promise. If you, if you want that, you, you just be great. Someone will submit to you. It can be a false. It'll be a weak glory. May have two or three people. You may have 7.3 million Twitter followers. Someone asked me the other day, do you have a Twitter? And I said, I have a Twitter, but who would want to listen to my, man, I got a pimple right here yesterday. Who wants that? I'm not that important. It's not saying Twitter's evil. Some of you are worth following. You're really funny. It's just not me. The, the Bible says that either we're struggling for glory in the worldly way or we're struggling with the glory of God and for the glory of God that it would go where we go. I'm not sure there's a more biblical concept than the latter that we found in Genesis chapter 32 because I want you to know what we carry with us, what the blessing of God is. The blessing of God is, is, is not some superficial thing. The blessing of God is something. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. It won't be on the screen, so you've got to follow along in your Bible. I'll give you a second for your app. This, this is the description. We're not even into the sermon yet. We just have to know what we're struggling like with. Like This is the, the picture. This is the value. This is the treasure. This is the prize. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, all those glory hounds. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead in everything that he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated, you hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is reconciled in the body of his flesh. By his death, in order to present to you, present you holy and blameless, above approach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. If 
if you don't know who Jesus is, I just encourage you, if you haven't been reading on your reading plan with us, Colossians will paint a vivid picture. You see, the cause of our, of our life, the glory, the, the banner, the, the king that we esteem is Jesus Christ. He's not just some prophet. He's not just some example. He's not just some well-intentioned man. The Bible says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation through whom all things, everything that exists, everyone, every king, every professional football, basketball player, every rock star, all of these were made through him and their whole purpose of existing was to bring him glory. That's the whole point. It says he is preeminent. He is first. We, we have the biggest banner. We have the most incredible king. This is our cause. Our cause is not what your family thinks of you. Our cause is not what the world says we're, we're good with. Our cause is not how people approve what your paycheck is worth. I, I was watching a, a movie about um, this uh, manager of the athletics. At the end, he was offered a check, a huge raise to go work for another one. And I remember very vividly this, this part of the, the movie. And he said, I'm not going to take it. And the guy said, no, no, what, that means a lot to us. They're valuing you differently. Isn't it amazing how a paycheck equals value right now? How much do you make? I make $407 million. Well, that's, that's okay. Yeah, I feel like I'm worth more. I read an article the other day on how NFL football players are underpaid. I mean, if you compare them to basketball players and baseball players, they get a lot less. So they're, they're underpaid. What world are you living in? So here's the problem. Worldly glory is not enough, is it? There, there's no title big enough. There's, there's no paycheck big enough to validate you because you may make the most today, but guess what's going to happen tomorrow? Somebody else. And if your glory is found in that, it's going to fall. It's going to fade. If, if your cause and my cause of life, if the way that we wrestle for glory is to be valued by those around us, by society around us, here's what I'm promising you, you will become. You will become an angry, vile, displeasured, one day senior adult, by God's grace, if you live that long, who will look back on life and wonder why you got the short stick. Regardless of what beach you're sitting on or what 900 square foot torn down shed you're in. Because the glory of the world is insufficient, regardless of what it tells you. It is the glory of the firstborn of all creation, the glory of the preeminent one through whom all things were created. That is the only glory, the only cause that there's fulfillment in. How do I know? Because the Bible tells me so. If you have your Bible, read with me. Chapter 1, Colossians. Let's start in verse 24 through 27. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. 
And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to me for you to make known the word of God fully, to make, excuse me, to make the word of God fully known and the mystery hidden for all ages, generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope, hope of glory. Verse 27, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, this is the mystery, Christ in you. He is the only hope of glory. There's no other hope of glory, therefore there's no other glory. There's, there's no other glory. I want you to, to hear that. Whatever you are striving for, whatever you are living for, Christ is the only hope of glory. If you want to win, if you want to live in glory, it is only found with Christ in you. That is it. It's not how much debt you paid off. It's not how many trophies you have on the wall. It's not how stable your children are. You see, the secret of hope is that real hope is Jesus Christ. That's the secret of hope. If you, if you look at this word mystery, mystery, having a secret is power, isn't it? See, back, back in ancient times, knowing kind of ancient mysteries made you closer to this false deity that you worshiped. Today, we call it blackmail. I know a secret about you, therefore I have power over you, right? Isn't a secret powerful? And, and the world loves secrets. Can you keep a secret? Just so you know, I can't keep secrets. Can you keep a secret? I have a secret. Remember that. So Christy and I have known each other since we were 10. I have a secret. I like so-and-so. Let me tell you, I don't know how you tell secrets, but every time I told a secret about somebody I liked, I wanted them to know. But from a distance, so if it blew up, I was safe. Amen? Any of you like that? See, the world says, this mystery is a mystery. If you work your way up, if you gain the right level of enlightenment, then you'll know the mysteries that those on the lower level don't know. And you can only know glory when you obtain these heights. Let me tell you something. Scripture says that is a lie. That's a lie. The Bible says the mystery is the one that was hidden and is now revealed. It was hidden in plain sight from the Old Testament, from the garden, when God told the serpent, man, he's going to crush your head. I, I'm going to send the Son of Man, the Son of God. The descendant's going to come, he's going to crush your head. The Old Testament, there's going to be a Messiah. There's going to be a king, God with us. He paints all this imagery out. And then in Jesus Christ, he says, here it is. Here's real hope. Here's the mystery made known, revealed, not just to the learned, but to the common people too. Christ in you. 
Christ in you. It's not, it's not just Christ next to you. It's not Christ leading you. This is the incredible hope. Over 172 times in Paul's writings alone, he makes this reference or something very similar, the equivalent to it. Christ in you. He wants you to know, the Spirit's compelling him to know that the secret of our hope, the hope that is worth struggling for, is that Christ is in you. The hope of glory is in you. You are not the hope of glory. Don't get confused. But the hope of glory has chosen to reside in you. That's the secret. And here's the secret. He's made himself known to all people, to the Gentiles, to everyone else. That means no matter where you were born, no matter what you look like, no matter what your handicaps or how brilliant you are, no matter how rich you are, no matter how poor you are, no matter how learned you are or, or, or how unlearned you are, no matter where you are, where you've come from, there's no boundary or barrier that this secret is. It is a direct confrontation to the glory the world seeks. Right? Because here, here's the reality. And, and, and I love education, so don't follow me too far on this. I have to go to school to learn things that you don't know. And if I learn more things than you know, then I am elevated higher than you. This is our, our systematic, our, our world works. The learned, we make our way up. Christ said, listen, not that I want you to be good steward. The Bible says in all that you do, do it for the glory of God. You better learn for the glory of God. Oh, mom and dad, you can write that on the refrigerator tonight for your kids. You should learn for the glory of God. But there's no glory to be found there. There's nothing. God says, I am not having secrets hidden for the learned. I make this revealed to all. If you want to know how to live in glory, if you want to know the glory worth struggling for, real hope is found in Christ Jesus. And the mystery is, is that because God sent his son to the world to live and to die and to rise again, that he has made it where Christ is in you. Where you go, he goes. Where you walk, he walks. Church, this morning, we have a hope, and that hope is the indwelling Christ. That you and I are recipients already in Christ of all the glory creation has ever known. All of it. There's no more secrets. There's nothing to work your way up to. There's, there's no one to please. You see, real hope depends on knowing the real Jesus. And that's tied to a real glory Verse 27 said that God chose you. That God chose you. And in Christ, you have the hope of glory. This is the amazing thing. This is, this is just the practical. It's not, it's not overwhelming. It's, it's limitless. But this is what the Bible says. Glory is found in understanding that Christ in you, the hope of glory, means that the hope, hope in Scripture is a noun. The, the promised land was a place. Heaven is a place. Christ is, a, is our king, a, a man, God in the flesh. The promise of the Spirit, your hope in the Spirit, Spirit is real. God doesn't give us hopes on fictitious things or feelings. They're, they're real. 
And the Bible says that in you and I, the mystery that we're struggling for is to be, to be reminded that we walk with the real Jesus, the real King of Kings, the real hope all the time, everywhere we go. So whether that's talking to someone in Guitar Center or trying to figure out how to heal a wound in the spouse who sleeps next to you when your backs are turned away from each other or towards each other. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. When, when your kids are in rebellion, what do I do? Christ is in you, the hope of glory. It's for real. He's really there. He's really walking with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. You've made too many bad decisions to know how to come out of it yourself. God doesn't say, hey, I saved you, now you walk on your own. No, he says, in salvation, Christ came into you. And now, as we walk through this mess, there may be confession, there may be things going out there. But I am here. The hope of glory resides in you. You never lose sight of hope because hope is in you in Christ, because Christ is in you. This is so different than anything else, than any other answer out there. Every other answer points to how you have to please something or have to, you have to do something. The Bible says, no, you just have to submit you just have to accept the hope. You are recipients of real hope in Christ Jesus. So we struggle to, to prevail that we don't ever leave that or lose that. But the Bible goes further in verse 28 and verse 29. And he says that, that we are communicators of this hope, communicators of this glory. If you have your Bible, turn there with me. It says this. So we proclaim him, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, for this I struggle with all the energy that he powerfully works in me. Church, here's what I want you to know. By, by the statement of this truth, this is ridiculously life-changing. If scripture is true, and it is, that Christ in you, the hope of glory, revealed that that is our relationship, then here's what I want you to know. In Christ, you are an extension to, of Calvary to a lost and dying world. Calvary isn't a cross on a hill that's deteriorated. Calvary represents the work of God that only he could do to bring hope to a fallen world. And the Bible says that you and I are extensions of that. Paul would say it elsewhere, you are an ambassador for Christ. Christ, if he's in me, that if he's going with me everywhere I go, the hope of the gospel goes. That the same power that washed us in the blood goes with us and is able to wash others in the blood. Why? Not because we have some force that's with us, but because we have someone who is with us and his name is Jesus. That's the mystery. That's why no weapon formed against us shall stand. Because Christ is with us. That's why no temptation can overcome us. Because Christ is with us. A temptation that gives, that wins, is us submitting to it willingly. Because Christ in us, the hope of glory, is able to overcome. Why? Because all things were made through him and to him. And he puts everything into his submission. So where you go and where I go is this extension of Calvary. And so like Paul says, we have to struggle to communicate that. 
We have to struggle to share this mystery of the hope so that no one is, is in the dark, so it's all made evident. Paul says, I struggle. He is so far from these people. He's, he's in prison. He's away from, this is a people he's never met, most likely, but one of his disciples, so to speak, one of his young men that he mentored went and helped start this church. It's how all this happens. It says he longs for them. How do you think he's struggling? He's struggling in prayer. He's wrestling. Church, he didn't say, hey, I'm just praying for you today. Have you thought your way? Listen, when we tell the world that Christians, we pray for one another, or we're praying for their salvation, our knees should have calluses on them, and people should be able to check them out to see if we're telling the truth or if we're telling a lie. You know what I'm saying? We have been entrusted with this mystery, this glory that is Christ Jesus, that is able to save, that is able to redeem, that is already overcome. And the Bible says that we should, like Paul, struggle because we are communicators of the gospel. We're extensions of Calvary. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 through 6. The Bible says it this way. It says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and reach all the riches of full assurance, understanding and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I'm absent in the body, yet I'm with you in the Spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted, built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, by empty deceit, according to human tradition according to the elements, elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Our struggle, church, is not with hope, but it really is so that others may know hope. In Christ, our struggle has already been won. Our call is not to wrestle with this world and hope we come out on the other side. Our call is not to, to, to be in the depths of temptation and sin and, and just keep fighting and one day we'll come out unscathed. No, no, no. The call, the thing that we struggle for is so that others may know the hope of Christ Jesus, the hope of glory. We, we struggle so they may know real hope. Paul's pretty clear that it's the Lord's glory He's pretty clear of what it looks like. He says, I struggle with you so that you may be bound together in courage, knit together in love. The riches and the fullness of the assurance, understanding, the knowledge of the mystery, hidden in treasures, walking, rooted, built up, established, all these things. This is what Paul says. He says, in all of these places, in all of these things, this is what I'm struggling for you. He doesn't say, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to be. He says, Christ, he's struggling. He struggled. He won. But for you, I'm struggling. Because he knows that Christ died 
for his bride, not for one person. He died for the church. He died for his people. Church, the Bible says that we should struggle to be knit together with one another. It's not just a picture of no division. It's the picture of proximity. We should be struggling to be together. Not filling quotas. We should be struggling to show one another Christ so that we can show each other these, these riches, this full assurance of knowledge of Jesus Christ. This, this should be our community. We, we, we should strive for it. What would happen? What would happen if we struggled for one another like we struggle for our jobs? Let me process that for just a minute. I'm, I'm guilty. What would your world look like if you struggled with the same amount of hours for Christian community to edify one another in Christ as you put in at your job? What kind of hope would you be living in? What kind of assurance would you have if you were surrounded by the bride of Christ all the time? What, what, kind, of, what kind of joy would you have when you came together? Omar gets a microphone. You're, you're his accountability group sometimes. You share in his joy. Let me tell you, church, that's not reserved for a choice few who figured out the mystery. Paul says, I struggle that you might be knit together. Paul traveled the world. Why? Mm. Mm. For the church. Because the church is the mission of the Messiah. Redemption in community is hope. So he says, listen. This is what I'm after. I'm after that you individually and in community would know the glory of Jesus Christ in you. And that nothing, nothing would separate you from it. He says, not plausible arguments, verse 4, chapter 2, verse 8. Not captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. All He says, he says, no, in, in Christ, with one another, we assure one another. Church, you, you don't need to talk about their struggles anymore. Can I, can, I, can I help you with this? You need to talk about your struggles together. Sometimes I think we're, we're just too shallow in thinking that Christian community is us telling and assuring each other that we're not like them or what they want us to be. Scripture says, Christ in you, the hope of glory is, is here. This is the mystery. You have received it already. Now you struggle that each other may know it in Christ and those outside of Christ. Are you struggling with one another? Are you striving with the hope? Or do we just sit back talking about, hopefully no one will infer that I'm talking about me when all of them. Church, 
it's time to break down that wall because there is no fullness that is found in our knowledge. Where is fullness found? The Bible says it here. Verse 9. In Him. Isn't that funny? It doesn't say in doing the right things or doing things. It doesn't say even in memorizing Scripture. Isn't that funny? In Him. The whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled with Him. And you have been filled with Him. You can read the rest of it. It's an amazing picture of Jesus. But have you been filled with Him? You see, because I'm, I'm a recipient and a communicator of a hope that I didn't earned and I didn't, wasn't bright enough to figure out. That the mystery of all time is the firstborn of all creation, the preeminent one, Jesus Christ, gave his life for me and rose again so that I might live in hope, which is in him, with him and his bride. Do you have that hope? Let me follow it up this morning. Do you know that the fullness of the Lord dwells in you if you've confessed Jesus Christ? Are you allowing that fullness to bind you to him and his bride in such a way to where he will say one day, the New Testament version says this, well done, good and faithful servant. The Old Testament says you came out alive. It's the same. It's the same. You were made for more. Let's pray. Father God, your word is so good. It is so rich and so alive. But God, it is only alive because it proclaims who you are. And God, Lord, you tell us that your son is in us. Father God, this morning, would you proclaim that to your people? That we might not look for glory in the hands or in the eyes or in the words of others. That we might not look for approval. Or that we might not isolate ourselves. Let us be knit together in you. It just seems like all the pictures of eternity are us and not me. In Jesus' name, amen.